when the going gets tough. That's the message I want to bring to you all today. Because when the going gets tough, what do we do? What do we accomplish? Who are we? I mean, the going does get tough. There are moments that we're going to be disappointed. You're going to be disappointed in a lot of different people. But I want you to hear this message today because Moses faces disappointment in his own life. Now, in verse 1 of chapter 5, he's actually at a high point. The first word of that verse is afterward. Afterward. After what? What has Moses experienced? Well, Moses has experienced a burning bush. God has placed a call upon his life. But in the immediate context, we are told that Moses and Aaron, they go to Egypt and they waste no time calling together the council of the Hebrews, the leadership of the Israelites. They call together all the elders. And what do they do? They begin to tell them what God has done, how God has spoken, and how they are there on mission and purpose, and God's going to deliver them. Aaron will even pull out the signs. Aaron will demonstrate the power of God through these special signs that God had given him. And the Bible says that all the Israelite leaders, all the people that they bring together, all of them believe. Now, that's exciting. Like, they get to Egypt... They go to the Hebrews. Remember, Moses had been rejected by them 40 years earlier. But now they believe. So they're like, they're riding high emotionally. They're, they're so excited. Well, you can, you can hear this in verse 1 because it says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh. So the wind at their back, a spring in their step, and confidence in their voice they go before the very presence of Pharaoh. That is a divine blessing for these individuals to gain an audience with a king. It's like God saying, here you go, I told you. Just go. You're going to fulfill the plan. You're going to fulfill the mission. And they're so excited. You can hear it in their language as they speak to Pharaoh in verse 1. It says, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. You hear that? Thus says the Lord. This is the first time that divine utterance formula is found in the Old Testament. You'll find it many other times. It'll be like God is speaking with authority. It rings with authority, does it not? It's like they go in courageously, boldly, and they know they're speaking for God. God said, he said, let my people go. You can hear the excitement and the energy and the authority behind their words. But then look at verse 2. This is where the excitement crashes. This is where expectation finds disappointment. Because in verse 2 it says, And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? That I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. Nor will I let Israel go. So here they are. Okay, they're so excited. They walk in. It's like, Pharaoh, God said, you better let the people go. And verse 2 tells us that all of a sudden, Pharaoh pushes back on their expectation, their excitement. He says, who is the Lord again? Who is that one that you're talking about? Now, notice in the text. Lord is in all caps, right? L-O-R-D, all capitalized. That would refer to the name Yahweh, the I am that I am. So Pharaoh says, who is this I am that I am? 
I, I, I don't think I've met him. I don't think I know. I know you said he was the God of Israel. He had made that distinction in verse 1. But he said, I don't think I've ever had a chance to meet him. And if I had, why would you think he had authority here? Because you're in Egypt now, man. He may be the God of Israel, but we are in Egypt. And in Egypt, we have many gods, including me. Remember, Pharaoh was worshipped as divine, as a deity. He was God. So Pharaoh's like, what is the big deal? Now, I believe that that wasn't quite what Moses was expecting. Let's put it this way. Have you ever had a great idea before? I mean, I'm, I'm talking about like it was really good. You're, some of you, a few of you, about four of you have had good ideas before. You've had those good ideas and like you had it all worked out in your mind and you thought, man, this is going to be great. This is going to be awesome. And what did you do? You went and you floated the idea around your friends. You like talked with them. You said, hey, what do you think about this? I'm thinking about going with my boss and talking to my boss about this or maybe my professor. And what do you think about this? And they all affirmed you. They were like, man, that's great. That's awesome. You ought to go talk to somebody about that. Talk to somebody. Talk to a supervisor. Talk to your teacher. They, we can make this happen. So you go in there just like Moses. Wind at your back. Spring in your step. Confidence in your voice. You lay it out for them. You have thought it through. And just as you finish, you recognize that puzzled look on your supervisor or professor's face. They look at you, and of course they're very nice, but they begin to question you just a bit. And then as they question the plan, the idea, they, they begin to nod their head. And they begin to say, nah, I don't think that'll work. I don't think we'll do that. But you were so excited. You felt like this was directly something that you should be doing. You thought it was from God maybe. And then all of a sudden, your expectation was squashed. Disappointment. That's what Moses felt here. Now, to be fair, God had told Moses this was what was going to happen, right? Moses had been given the prophecy of Pharaoh's reluctance, if you go back and look at the account. But somehow, somehow Moses had either pushed that to the deep recesses of his memory. He had... Maybe he just dismissed it outright, or he had not heard it. You know, we don't like to focus on the bad parts of the plan. We just kind of dismiss those sometimes and focus on the things we think will work. So Moses should have been prepared, but he was not. Pharaoh rejected God's word. It was God's word. Moses spoke with clarity, with authority, and he spoke it as God's word. But Pharaoh didn't care about God's word because an unbeliever never cares about God's word unless God enlightens his mind and enlightens his heart to accept it. You and I need to hear that just a moment, okay? Because Moses is disappointed with Pharaoh here. He's like, why would Pharaoh hear God's word? I mean, I said, did he not hear me say, this is God's word? And see, there's sometimes we go out and we're like, hey, it says it in the Bible. This is what God's word says. But you and I should not expect unbelievers just to, ex to accept that word. Now, let me be clear. I am convinced that God's word 
is authoritative. I believe it makes a difference in people's hearts and lives. I know that the gospel is the power of God of salvation. So in other words, it's only through the good news of Jesus that people can experience salvation. I believe that. But before they will accept his word, the Holy Spirit has to work in their lives to get them to the point where they know this is authoritative. Like they have to understand, they have to come and be awakened to the spiritual things of God. You and I should not expect unbelievers to simply accept God's word. We should pray for the spirit to show them the truth and to open their eyes to the truth. Pharaoh doesn't believe. And Moses and Aaron, they come to Pharaoh with a revised plan, a revised request. Look at verse two, uh, 3. It says, So they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sore. So they revised the plan just a bit, the request. Hey, would you let us go into the wilderness for a spiritual retreat? We just want to go off about three days, worship, be able to kind of reflect upon our God so that he doesn't bring any type of judgment to us. Well, verse 4, the king of Egypt, this is Pharaoh, said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Go back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest from their labor? So really what Pharaoh says is, you want to shut down our economy? You want to stop all of the work? You want to close the businesses? You want to do all that kind of stuff? Hey, we just went through some form of that, and we continue to see limitations in our businesses, and we know what impact it has financially, right, economically. So here, Pharaoh basically drives this economic argument. He said, are you kidding me? You want me to shut down the work? He said, no, 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 no. And look in verse 6, if you will. So the same day. Hey, did you ever have a day like this where like it started out okay, but then it just went downhill? You didn't think it could get any worse, but it kept getting worse all day long. Because right here, we just go from bad, I mean bad, disappointment of Pharaoh, rejection of Pharaoh. Now we go to worse. Look at verse 6. So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers saying, you shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. And you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. You shall not reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry out, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let more work be laid on the men, that they may labor in it, and let them not regard false words. Pharaoh said, Obviously they've got too much time on their hands. They're listening to stuff. They're idle. He said, so you know what? We're going to make their work harder. He said, don't give them any more straw for their brick making. Now, what impact does straw have on brick making? Well, straw for brick making was something like uh, rebar that you would use like in concrete. I don't know if any of you have ever done anything like this. And I've only done it a time or two. I didn't even know what I was doing. Remember, we were building the youth building at First Baptist Church of Zachary. And the football coach, Coach Weiner, and I went out that morning. We were trying to save all kind of money, okay? We're trying to save all the money we could. 
So we heard people, they told us what to do. They told us to put this rebar in like this framed area and they were going to pour concrete on it. I looked at Coach Weiner and I said, what are we doing? He said, I have no idea what we're doing. I said, dude, you're a football coach. You're supposed to know like almost everything. Why do you not know this? And he's like, man, you're a preacher. You're supposed to have, I mean, you're supposed to have some kind of like spiritual connection. You should know something about that. What is it? I came to find out that rebar would be put there to have some structure in the concrete so that the concrete wouldn't break so much. That's what I was told. I may have been wrong, but that's what I was told. And what they would do is they'd take this straw and they would put it in the brick so that the brick would have structure. It would have more stability to it. So Pharaoh says, don't give them any more of that stuff. They can find it on their own. And the way I read this scripture, especially as I continue down in chapter 5, is that the people have to go and they have to gather, not necessarily straw, but stubble, which would be very difficult. I would propose to you impossible to be able to make the break that they needed, especially the quota that was continuing in their lives. Did I just tell you that this went from bad to worse? Oh, and it went bad to worse because Moses did what he was supposed to do. I'll come back to that in a moment. Well, you can imagine how the people reacted. The taskmasters, the Israelite leadership, begin to, they begin to see what happens. And they come to Pharaoh and they're like, Pharaoh, what is this? What would you do? That's really what happens here in the latter part of chapter 5. What, what, what are we doing? Why are you not giving a straw anymore? And Pharaoh basically says, oh, it's because you got too much time on your hands. It's because of Moses and Aaron. Pick up in verse 20 of chapter 5. Then, as they, that would be the taskmasters, the Israelite leadership, they came out from Pharaoh. They met Moses and Aaron who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, let the Lord look on you and judge. Because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in the hand to kill us. Sound very appreciative, don't they? Very grateful. They come out and they start pointing fingers. Moses, Aaron, you too. You too are the cause of this. You too did this to us. Now remember, they were all in on the plan and the end of chapter 4 but now things have gone very difficult for them it's become costly and they say why why would you do this to us do you know how this must have stung how that wound must have been reopened in Moses life 40 years before the leadership of Israel had rejected him and now we're in this deja vu moment again. He just tried to step up and do what he was called to do. But they push back. They reject him. I believe it hurts. Listen, listen folks, listen. It's one thing to be disappointed in a pagan leader. It's another thing to be disappointed in people that you call your spiritual family. It's one thing for him to be disappointed in Pharaoh. It's another thing for him to feel like he's been rejected by his own 
nation by his own spiritual kinship. I don't know about you, but there have been times when maybe I thought I was doing right and um, I, I tried to do it in the right way. I thought I had the great right spirit to do it. And it just seemed like whatever I did brought disappointment in people's lives. And that's rough, isn't it? Like, have you ever done that? I mean, have you ever been there before? Like you were just trying to do what was right. You wanted to talk to that person. You wanted to try to bring reconciliation to that relationship over there. You wanted to step in and maybe help your family or help the church. Whatever it is, you just wanted to step up. And you did it out of pure motives. You, were, you had love in your heart. You know you did and all this. And then you, you acted and then you were rejected. Even by those you call friends or family members. Chuck Swindoll said this. He said, being misunderstood hurts all the way to the bone. Maybe you felt those pangs recently. You did the right thing in the right way, but someone misjudged you, reading motives into your acts or words that you never intended. And you must live under that cloud, unable to change the minds of those who have turned against you. Oh, yeah, they'll hold a grudge. You look at chapter 6, verse 9, they're still holding a grudge. They hold a grudge. And you know those people, you disappointed them, and they just have written you off. That's painful. It is. But may I point you now to, I think, the greatest pain that Moses had in his life. The greatest disappointment. It wasn't just with Pharaoh, and it wasn't just with God's people. But according to what I read in verse 22 and verse 23, he was disappointed with God. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you've sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. Did you hear that? Moses comes to God and he says, God, why? God, why? Why did you send me? I told you I wasn't the one. I tried to explain to you. I tried to make excuse after excuse. You still sent me. Why did you send me? God, you hadn't acted like I thought you would. Do you hear the disappointment? Hey, aren't you proud that there's not a book out there that records your prayers to God? I'm, I'm kind of proud that... Some of the personal conversations I've had with God haven't been put on display on Sunday morning. I mean, <laughs> God and I, we've had, some, we've had some arguments before. He always won. But we've had some arguments. I've had some questions for him. Some questions I probably wouldn't have proposed right here in front of you all, but I knew God was big enough and great enough and willing to take those questions. So I would, I just poured out. I, I'm kind of proud, though, that I don't have to put that on display for everybody. As a matter of fact, I believe Moses wrote the book of Exodus. If I were Moses, I don't know if I'd included this. I might have left this part out. Now, I know the Holy Spirit spoke to him, inspired him, and prompted him to write it down, and I'm proud he did because this shows us how honest and authentic Scripture is because it doesn't hide anything from us here. It shows us the struggle that Moses had. Moses was disappointed 
with God. Because things had gotten tough. Things had gotten difficult. And again, it was because of obedience. Hey, did God ever say that life would be easy if you obey? <laughs> no, not really. Not in those words. Not like that. Well, I heard this prosperity gospel teachers tell me that, eh, hate to burst your bubble, but no matter what a prosperity gospel teacher told you, it doesn't mean life's going to be easy for you just because you're obedient. Well, I got back from a spiritual retreat, and I've been to some of those too. And I got back, and I was on such an emotional high, I thought I could do anything, and it would all work out, and everything would be easy. No, it's not the case. Radical obedience will often put you in the crosshairs of hardship and difficulty. Moses was facing a tough time because of his obedience. Because he had gone, he was disappointed. And look, life can be disappointing. When you're parenting, when you're working, whatever you're doing, school, you can find disappointments. But I want you to hear this. When the going gets tough, the what? Tough get going. But may I finish that for you just a little bit? I would say when the, when the going gets tough, the tough get going to God. To God. What do I mean by this? Verse 22, at least Moses went to God. After this is over with, he just goes to God and he says, God, here I am. I don't know why he sent me. But he went to God. He couldn't go to his people because they had rejected him. Remember, his family had left him because of his own failures and then you've got Aaron. And I'm not sure that Brother Aaron is the best one that you want in this situation to bring consolation and encouragement. Especially when I read the rest of his story. So what does he do? He goes to God. The tough, they get going to God. And what did they find in God? They find some reassurance. They find affirmation. They find confirmation. So look at chapter 6, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses... Now, shall, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will let them go, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. I've also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. And I've also heard the groaning of the children of Israel whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore it to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. You know, when I got to verse 1, I thought God was going to say, Moses, I can't believe you just said that to me. Or maybe I'd have thought, Moses, you better get yourself back out there and you better get to telling Pharaoh what I told you. 
That's not the way God responded. That's not the way God responded. I'm pretty grateful that God doesn't respond always like that to us either. How did he respond here? He confirmed and he affirmed Moses and the mission. He affirmed his own identity. Listen to what he said. He said two things. I am and I will. I am and I will. I am the Lord. He said it in verse 2, verse 6, verse 7, verse 8. And then if you go on down to verse 29, he says it again. He wants him to hear it. I am the Lord. Hey, if you're disappointed in somebody, if you're disappointed in people, in the church, in the culture, if you're disappointed in God, I want you to hear this morning that God can come to you and he can say, listen, I am still God. I am that I am. I am the Lord. You and I need to hear that. Man, I'll tell you, when I get, maybe I can watch five minutes of news. In five minutes of news, I have to get down on my knees for like 55 minutes to say, Lord, I need to hear that you are still God. And he says it to us. He confirms. He affirms who we are. He says, I am. I didn't call you to leave you. I'm still right here. I've never relinquished control to anybody else. I'm still on the throne. I'm still the king of kings, and I'm still the Lord of lords. Are you going through a time like that, a disappointment, where you just need to hear that? Just need to hear it. You just need the confirmation. Maybe it's a time when he just comes along and he put spiritual markers in your life. Henry Blackaby talked about these years ago that when you would make transitions, maybe it was a time of crisis, maybe whatever, God would bring confirmation. He'd bring assurance to you just to remind you that he's there. You could feel his presence in some way. Maybe it's through his word or maybe it's through a circumstance that God just affirms, hey, I'm still here. I'm still here. I had one of those moments in my college years, actually. I had graduated high school from Saltillo, and most of you know my story. I, I had surrendered to ministry when I was 16 years old. 16, I knew that God was calling me to preach. So I surrendered to that. I knew beyond a shadow of doubt I was to preach. But when I was graduating high school, I began to think through like what that would look like. And I had so many people kind of like, hey, Reggie, you can do so many other things and this and that. I will tell you that pastors and preachers were not necessarily esteemed in my circles. And it was kind of like, what else could I do? And I decided I would go to this college in Jackson, Mississippi. I, I said, you know, I can go and major in something else and I can become a bivocational pastor. And that's an awesome task. I am so grateful for bivocational ministers because if it had not been for bivocational ministers, most of the churches in the United States of America would not even have existed. So I'm grateful for bivocational ministers. And I thought, I can do that. That's what I'll do. And I went and uh, I began my first semester. Everything went well, made great grades, which I know would surprise you, but I made great grades. I did a lot of this and it was, it was good. It was great outside. but I was so empty inside. Those were some of the darkest days of my life. Some of the loneliest days of my life. People wouldn't have known that. But I was really struggling. 
I began my second semester at that college. I was about two to three weeks in, and I walked into a calculus class. And I was sitting in there, and it was almost like an audible voice of God spoke to me. Now, I'm not one into mystical, but it was like God just spoke to me, and he said, what are you doing? What are you doing? Is this where you're supposed to be? Is this what I called you to? Again, affirming bivocational ministers, but I knew that God was calling me to something different. But I had tried to push that back so that I could do some of my own stuff and maybe do some more ambitious things in life. God said, you know this is not where you need to be. Now, some people said it was calculus speaking to me. But I still say and maintain it was God. I got up and I left that class. I went straight to the registrar's office. And I withdrew at that moment. I went back to my room and called my mom. I said, hey, mama. She said, hey, Reggie, what's up? I said, I'm coming home, mama. She said, you what? I said, I'm coming home. She said, you sick? I said, no, ma'am, I'm not sick. Something's happened down there. What's happened? Something bad? No, nothing bad, mama. Promise you nothing. Why are you coming home? Because I'm just coming home, mama. I said, this is not where I'm supposed to be. God's, God's spoken. He's told me I need to come and do something else. I hope maybe I can go to Blue Mountain. I just got to get out of here right now, mama. And I could hear her disappointment in a sense on the other end of that phone. But I got through. I went over. I got my television. I got my uh, computer deal. I got everything. My phone. My roommate was crying. Not because he liked me because we weren't really friends. But because I owned everything in the room. And um, <laughs> it was just. I loaded everything I could because I said I'm not coming back. I got it into my little car and I drove to North Mississippi. I went in. Mom said, well, what is your plan? I said, well, I'm going to call Blue Mountain College. That's where I need to be to train as a minister. That's where I need to be. So, okay. Um, okay. Well, let's call them. So the next day or so, I called and I said, hey, what can I do? And they said, well, you can't do much right now. It's the middle of the semester. Why did you leave down there? You can't do, I mean, can't get in here right now. A month or so has passed here. But let's talk about it. We, we can work through it. And I said, well, good. And I began to tell them what I had taken. And they said, oh, look, outside of calculus, the other stuff I took was stuff that was so off the wall. They were like, there's no way we can take those credits here at Blue Mountain. I said, you're telling me I've lost that whole semester? Yes, you've lost the whole semester. Okay. Oh, and by the way, all that money that you were getting from the state, gone because of what you did. But we'll work with you. We'll see what happens. I'm going to tell you, days turned into weeks. And I was in such a dark place of disappointment. My parents didn't say a whole lot to me, but I knew how disappointed they were. Because I was the first one in my family that was going to complete college. They were very disappointed. 
And day after day went by. And I cried out to God and I said, God, why? I know you spoke to me. I believed it. But why, God? I mean, this is, this is bad. And then we were getting closer to the end of the semester and the phone rang from Blue Mountain College. And they said, hey, we want to talk to you about things. I said, okay, what's, what's going on? They said, well, the academic dean has decided that you can take those credits and transfer them here. I said, praise be to God. Said, and you know, if you'll go ahead and you'll take 12 hours this summer, then you'll get caught up. I said, I'm in. What do I got to take? They told me what I needed to do. So I was like, I'm signing up. And they said, you need to know this too. We don't know why, but the money from the state is coming in. You're going to get that back. You're going to have those resources. And not only that, we want to talk to you about some scholarships. And the Mississippi Baptist Convention, they give all the preacher boys so much money per month for them to go to school. I said, what? They said, yeah, it would be a check just given to you. You can use it for gas, whatever you want to do. That was a confirmation of what God was doing in my life. At a time when I was disappointed and desperate, God came to me and he said, Hey, I am. I still am. I'm God. I told you I was. You accepted me when you were saved. I'm still God. And listen to this. Same thing he said to Moses. He said, I am. And then he said, I will. I will. Don't miss this. Verse 1, he says, see what I will do. In verse 6, he says, I will bring, I will rescue, I will redeem. In verse 7, he says, I will take, I will be. In verse 8, he says, I will bring, I will give. Hear it over and over. He comes to Moses and he says, I am and I will. I will work on your behalf. I'm going to do what I said I was going to do. I'm not leaving you alone in this. So right now, as we go through moments of disappointment, as we see the going get tough, I want you to hear that the tough can get going to God because he is the I am. And the I am is the one who will also I will in your life. And you need to hear that today. I need to hear it. We need to hear it. That God is about his business. He was telling Moses that he was going to deliver his people. He was telling Moses that he would demonstrate his sovereignty over even a pagan nation called Egypt. He was still working. Listen, when the seas are high, it's not time to jump out of the boat into another boat. It's not time to change ships. It's time for us to turn to him and say, we recognize that you are God and that you will work on our behalf. So I come to you this morning. Maybe some of you are in a place of despondency or disappointment like Moses. You're disappointed. You're disappointed in your friends, your family, maybe. Maybe, maybe. You're disappointed in people. You're disappointed in a church. Maybe some of you watching live stream and you haven't been in church in a while because you're disappointed in church. And some of you, some of you may be disappointed in your culture or your community or other people. Would you hear what God says? God says, I'm st I still am. I am. And I will. And he wants to work in your life. But we may, must bow ourselves and submit ourselves to that power, to that strength. As he brings hope and encouragement to us. Let's pray together. Father, I come to you this morning.
And God, I thank you. I thank you in the midst of our disappointment. You come to us. And so often you are loving and encouraging. And so often you bring confirmation. Even when we thought we might be going in a different direction. You, you provide spiritual markers for us to bring us back to where we need to be. And focus our faith in you. God, there's some of my brothers and sisters who are here this morning. And Lord, they're, they're discouraged. They're disappointed. Their day has moved from bad to worse in so many ways. They're weak. They're year. God, help them hear once again who you are and what you have committed to do. Just as we studied this week at Staycation Bible School, that memory verse, Philippians 1.6, that he who hath begun a good work in us would perform it till the day of Christ. May we believe it. May we know that you're going to continue to work in us fulfill your will until we see you one day and God we pray that you would speak now loudly to us who are here in this room and to those who are joined us by live stream and encourage us we pray it now in Jesus name Amen